CPSC, open up in there. We have a search warrant. I know my rights. What are you looking for? We have reason to believe you are manufacturing clothing storage units that don't meet ASTM 2057 TAC-23 standards. Now open up or we'll break the door down. You'll never take my chest of drawers, copper. Could this be the end of custom furniture? Hello, my name is Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, where I help you, the custom woodworking business owner, get more out of your business, get more customers, do more projects, make more money. And if you are a skilled woodworker who's been thinking about starting a custom woodworking business, well, I'm here for you too. This podcast is all about getting you started, hanging your shingle out there, and helping your community with their woodworking problems. Okay, so this might have been a little dramatic This is episode 71. Could this be the end of custom furniture? What the heck am I even talking about? Generally, woodworkers can make whatever they want and sell whatever they want. Nobody's really looking over our shoulders. If you want to make tables and chairs and laser-cut coasters, charcuterie boards, go for it. No real rules, no laws, no licensing, no one really to bother us. Well, sort of. There are general liability laws that we have to to abide by. If you make a piece of crap and somebody gets hurt on it, you're very likely to get your butt suit off of you. But generally, this doesn't really happen. But remember, we have more lawyers in this country than we do engineers, so... Eh, target-rich environment, shall we say. This is true with one giant exception. If we insert the words child, children, kids, young people, all bets are off. For instance, you answer the phone, nice lady on the other end says, we're expecting our first child and we would like a custom crib built. Dial tone. You just hang up on them right there. Boom. She mentioned baby, baby crib. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. Not going there. Because that's where the liability really, really lies. And that's what this story is all about today. And why, yeah, you can still build a chest of drawers or four-drawer chest or whatever you want to call it, but you need to be aware of a few things. So what's the big problem? Well, the big problem is dead children and a few dead adults killed by furniture. No, I'm not making this up. Serious as a heart attack. Between 2000 and April of 2021, there have been 199 deaths of children. 11 adults, and 24 senior citizens, all killed by furniture. Again, not making this up. Well, what type of furniture is killing all these people? Well, there was 196 chest 
bureaus or dressers, two wardrobes and one armoire. Again, I am not making this up. This is true. This is factual. We'll get into the resources behind this. You do need to pay attention to this if you are a custom furniture maker. These things are called clothing storage units or CSUs. Get used to acronyms because this episode is full of them. Back in 2000, starting in 2000, there was a marked increase in, I'm sorry, children's deaths caused by furniture. And parents were rightfully outraged and banded together and social media was really picking up at this time and got a whole bunch of people interested in this that we need to do something to protect our children. There is an organization called Parents Against Tipovers. You can find them on Twitter at Tipovers. Again, not making this up. This is, well, serious stuff. A brief history of furniture would be in order right now. In the 1950s, typical American home, kid's bedroom, consisted of a bed, a dresser, a desk, bookshelf, maybe a bookcase, uh, a toy box. Pretty simple. Nothing life-threatening in there. 1980s, kid's bedroom had a bed, a dresser, a TV on a dresser, one of those old cathode ray tubes, CRT TVs, the big heavy monsters, probably hooked up to a Nintendo. This continued right on through the 90s and the 2000s. Adults bedroom. Beds went from a reasonable height where you could actually get up and stand on upon the floor to like three feet high or higher. They had these giant box springs. They had these mattress toppers. You had like 12 inches of pillows on top of all of this. I mean, you had when you got out of bed in the morning, you had to jump down. They were huge. And of course... Everyone wanted a nightstand beside their bed, and these things had to get taller. Well, at some point, these got moved into the kids' rooms, and the old CRT TV that the family was replacing with a flat-screen TV went on top of this tall, narrow nightstand. (sighs) You know, kids... Yeah, teenagers is one thing, but little kids are something else. And as this was happening in the 2000s, there was a marked increase in child injuries and deaths caused by TVs sitting on dressers. I know, I know, I know, you shouldn't put a TV on a dresser. Think about it. You've probably have done it, or you know somebody who's done it, like your brother-in-law. So this is where everything really started to cook. Well, the parents, organized parents groups were were very effective at petitioning their government. And it wasn't too long before the CPSC or the Consumer Product Safety Commission got involved. Now, this is a an organization, a government agency founded in 1972 whose purpose is to protect 
the public from unreasonable risk of serious injury or death from thousands of types of consumer products under its jurisdiction, including products that pose a fire, electrical, chemical, or mechanical hazard, or can injure children. Again, children's the real watchword here. These are the watchdogs of unsafe, poorly designed, poorly constructed things that can or have hurt people, especially children. You know, cribs. Probably every woodworker has heard about the rules that govern cribs. That's why so many, so few people actually make cribs, because there's like a hundred rules. Changing tables. That was another big problem. You had a low dresser. Oh, this will make a great changing table. Well, my two kids. You put the kid on there and they fall off. Well, kids have a tendency of doing that. And so the CPSC instituted rules on how to design a changing table where the kid isn't going to fall off and go splat. Of course, they're still under warranty, they're going to bounce, but the parents are going to be a basket case for the next three weeks. These are good things. They also are the people who tested lead paint on children's toys. Not a good thing for young teethers. These are the people who got rid of lawn darts. You remember lawn darts back in the 70s? They had a, a sharp point, steel point on one end, and like, feathers, flights on the other end, and instead of throwing darts at the pub, you could go out into the lawn and toss these things like 50 yards, you know, terrorizing poor little Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> Sorry, that was uncalled for. And so now they're really focusing on clothing storage units, CSUs, dressers. So in the 2000s and uh, 2010s, Various things went through legislation, rules, committees, so on and so forth. And pretty much the best thing that they came up with was tip over restraints. Now, these are devices. They're usually a strap that you can buy at the store today or a manufacturer would include these with the, the dresser, the changing table the thing that you bought at the big box store or the furniture store. And the idea was that you attached one end of this onto the wall, attached the other end onto the dresser, and then the strap would take up the slack. So it made it virtually impossible for this thing to, to tip over and, and, and crush, you know, a, a little kid. And they work fairly well. Some people would also just screw through the dresser, the back of the dresser, into the wall, sometimes including a little spacer that would suck up the difference in the baseboard width to the wall so that everything's, you know, vertical. And when people did this, it was very effective. However, it relies upon the consumer to do this. And you all know... Uh, some people have a hard time operating a screwdriver. So it wasn't a good solution, but it was better than nothing. And, and honestly, public awareness was probably the biggest factor, is that parents started to think, I'm putting this great big heavy TV 
on this relatively narrow dresser, it's going to come down on him at some point because, well, he's a kid. So parental control, I think, probably had a huge role in reducing the 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 accidents that, that were, were occurring. They all this petitioning in Congress came up with the Sturdy Act. Now the Sturdy Act, you gotta give them credit for creativity. Stop tip overs of unstable, risky dressers on youth. So the Sturdy Act came about a few years ago. It got bannered around Congress, you know, from one house to the other. Changes were made, kind of got ignored, kind of got picked back up, until finally, this past December, it actually got tacked on to the $1.7 trillion spending bill that was passed by, by Congress, and it, it has now become law. This act charges the CPSC, Consumer Product Safety Committee, to come up with a standard. It also allows the CPSC to adopt an existing standard if they think that it's, well, good enough. That's where the ASTM 2057-TAC-23 comes in. What the... I know, I know. The American Society of Testing and Materials. Huge organization. They do all kinds of stuff. You remember the Betamax VHS wars of the 80s? Yeah, these are the people who kind of finally standardized that. I don't know if they're really involved with various plugs for phones and electronic devices, but it would be really good if we could kind of clean out the 27,000 different varieties that we have of those. The ASTM is very much like what you may be familiar with, the ISO 9000. That's the International Organization of Standardization, 9000 Manufacturing Quality and Control. You've, you've probably heard of that. It's, it's used in industry all over the place. You know, table saw manufacturers in Taiwan will be ISO 9000. It's a standard that assures or gives you some idea that these people are, are, are doing a good job, basically. If you send your, your table saw blades in, um, or, or router bits and things like that, it's very likely at an ISO 9000. It's a kind of a prestigious badge for manufacturers to, to have that assures people that, you know, they're legit, that they know what they're doing, so on and so forth. Don't confuse this with ISO in photography. However, it is related. If you're a photo buff, a photographer, maybe you're doing your own photography of your products to put up online, you know ISO, 100, 200, 400, 1600. That is a unit of light sensitivity. And this started way back with film, that different film was made to be either more or less sensitive to light. Different podcast. But it's the same thing. It's a a standardization of a product that is used all the time. Ah, Kodachrome 25. Oh, I have fond memories. 
sorry, sorry. So ASTM 2057 set standards. They'd been working on this for a while. Set standards to test and analyze furniture design and how it relates to tip-overs and keeping children safe. Uh, the most current one right now is 2057 TAC-19. 2019 and that is up online and I've got a link down below that you can go in and read that. All of these standards are published on the Federal Registry. That's a big government document warehouse type thing. It's actually kind of cool. Um, again, follow the link. Uh, or you can print it out. It's only 157 pages long. When you read this, you might want to dust off some of your your high school or college uh, algebra, geometry, trigonometry, and a little bit of the physics because these guys get in depth. It was written by engineers, okay, and so they really kind of dig into the the nitty gritty here. So all of this is going on, and then the CPSC decides that they are going to, you know. We're going to get this completed. We are going to rule. The rule will become the law of the land. Well, enter our friend AFTA, the American Furniture Trade Alliance. These are folks down in North Carolina that represent furniture makers in the United States and furniture importers, from what I understand. And these guys, well, literally, they saved their bacon, okay? Big shout out to them. And I'm just going to read this. The CPSC unveiled the details of its proposed rulemaking in July 2021. The agency had kept the data and technical research behind its rule under wraps for ne nearly four years working as quickly as possible to analyze the 1,100-plus pages of background pertaining to the novel performance test methods it proposed. So they're, they're going to create the standards that we all have to follow. Specifically, the AHFA questioned whether the rule could be effectively enforced due to the complexity of the performance standard outline. Members of the alliance tested hundreds, turned into thousands, of products in all styles and price points and could find none that met the minimum stability rating required by the rule. Despite being compliant with the applicable voluntary standard then enforced. Further, the more units that were tested, the more variability engineers discovered in the test methods. Finally, as companies contemplated what would be required to redesign products to meet the minimum stability ratings, they noted significant oversights in the CPSC's cost-benefit analysis. In the end, AHFA concluded the CPSC rule would have the unintended consequence of making safer CSUs, clothing storage units, cost prohibitive for families that need them most. Despite receiving hundreds of pages of concerns, questions, and objections from the variety of stakeholders, including the AHFA, 
A. The agency made only minor modifications to the final rule and approved it in October 2022. It takes effect May 25th, 2023. So, <laughs> where are we now? Well, thanks to the AFTA, cooler heads have prevailed instead of what the CPSC wanted, a more obtainable standard, the 2057 TAC-23 has prevailed and the CPA was set to make their final decision in March of this year that would change the voluntary standard into a mandatory standard and it got canceled. So again, you can hear that can being kicked down the road. There's a a long set of rules and and procedures and operations to go in this. I mean, come on, this government's kind of like making sausage. You know, you like the benefits, but you don't really want to see how this is made. Woodworkingnetwork.com, which all of you should be signed up for their newsletter, uh, they've been doing a really good job of, of following this for the woodworking industry. And they are, the, I think, the only ones that actually posted that this has, again, been delayed. So, so what? What do we do as one-person shops making the occasional piece of furniture, doing repairs, so on and so forth? A few takeaways. The government doesn't want us to make furniture that kill children. We don't want to have our furniture kill children. So how do we do this? Well, these new rules will someday be adopted, so probably the sooner we get on board, the better. We need to design and build clothing storage units, dressers, chest of drawers, wardrobes, armoires, etc., that won't tip over and hurt a kid. That's the goal here. Okay, a kid, a child, define up to 60 pounds, which is about a five-year-old. And again, this is in the 2057 TAC-23 on the National Register. You can read this. It's a long read. But that's who they're targeting. These are the vulnerable age group. Probably when they get older, they either outgrow this tendency or they get slightly smarter and realize that gravity is a real thing. But, you know, kids under five, (laughs) well, they're kids under five. You know, if you want a good product tester, if you've made a, a chair or something like that, and you want to make sure that it's sturdy, it's well constructed, give it to a three year old. They can destroy anything, including computers. Don't let them near the keyboard. Personal experience speaking there. So kids under five, roughly 60 pounds and under, they climb. You know they climb. And the the typical accident occurs when they're in a bedroom alone, or maybe, you know, parents are, are doing something else like folding laundry, and the kid pulls out all of the drawers and they become steps and he starts climbing because they can get to the top of the of the dresser Woohoo! yay look at me and as they're doing that they're increasing the lever arm and that 60 pounds or 30 pounds is just enough for this thing to come crashing over on them so 
The other way that they get in trouble, and if you put a, have a TV on top of that, it's, well, it's deadly. The other way that they get in trouble is if you have a clothing storage unit, wardrobe, that has doors that open up. Okay, come on, be honest. Go ahead and tell me that you never swang, swung? You never swung on a cabinet door. Yeah, kitchen cabinet doors, absolutely. Refrigerator doors, ugh. Yeah, you probably did that too. Armoire, wardrobe, yeah, duh. If you can reach the top of that drawer, you can swing that thing open, kick your feet out in front of you, and do your best Jet Li, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, or Tarzan impression. I tried to cover all the various age groups of our listeners right there. So this is how these things happen. So if we can modify the designs to prevent either that ladder effect of opening up all the drawers or the swing effect, then we can make safer furniture that even a three-year-old's not going to be able to destroy or hurt themselves. How do we do this? Well, everyone that I talked to said some type of drawer interlock. And if you look in the, the hardware catalogs, the manufacturers are already working on this. I remember building a, a rifle rack, a gun rack, decades ago, centuries ago that had an interlock in the drawer so that the drawer had to be open before you could remove a retaining bar to remove a, a firearm. So interlocks have been with us for, for long, long, long times. Torpedo tubes have interlocks. You can't open the outer door if the inner door is not shut. Just common sense type things. So look into interlocks. I mean, they're already in the catalogs. We, we can see this. One drawer at a time is all that you can, can open. I don't think that they're going to be crazy expensive. I've never used them, but I think we can figure this out. The other thing we can do is use three-quarter extension drawer slides. We don't have to have full extension. As nice as they are, maybe going to three-quarter extension would increase the stability that it would pass the 2057 TAC 23 standards. Or you could build your clothing storage units 26 and a half inches tall. Why only 26 and a half inches? I mean, that's just slightly over two feet because the standard only applies to furniture over 27 inches. Way back in the day, it used to be 30 inches. But remember those nightstands in the 1990s, early 2000s, kept getting taller and taller and taller because our beds kept getting taller and taller? Well, they lowered it to 27 to catch those nightstands so that they can't inadvertently be used and then some kid get crushed by a nightstand. Not cool. You need to read the standard. Like I said, there's a, a link in the show notes to the National Registry where you can read this. Good cup of coffee, maybe sitting on the back deck in the sunshine. It's going to take you a while. There's also a bunch of labeling requirements that you have to attach to your furniture. You know, warning parents, consumers that this could be a dangerous piece of furniture in your home to, to little children. So you got to do that. Or you could just stop making clothing storage units. You know, it's just like the baby cribs. 
I'm not going to make a baby crib. Uh-uh, not going to happen. Maybe you just say no to making dressers, chest of drawers. And in probably 20 years, I have been asked once to make a dresser. Cribs, bassinets, things like that, more times. And the answer is no, I, I don't do that. Yeah, but can't I just add the anti-tip-over strap that you were talking about earlier? No, you can't. I mean, you can, it's a good idea, but it doesn't meet the requirements of 2057 TAC-23. It's not in there. It was a previous standard, voluntary standard, that was kind of basically a stopgap, and it did work if they were used, but they were not perfect because you could not ensure that this would be installed properly. Yeah, but I'm small time. I'm just a one-person shop. This doesn't really apply to me. Well, yes, it does. Anyone who manufactures and or sells a clothing storage unit is, will be bound by this standard. Right now, it's a voluntary standard. It Once the people get their act together, it will become a man, mandatory standard. And true, you know, you are small time. We are all small time. We're not making millions and millions of dollars. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We have driveways, not parking lots, okay? So this is really aimed at the Ashleys, the, the Souter, the Hickories, the big manufacturers, and of course, the 800-pound Swedish fish in the room, Ikea, because these definitely are targeted at imported furniture, whether from Sweden or more likely from China, Southeast Asia. They have to meet these standards also. And since you are a professional woodworker, you want to be up on the latest and greatest and what's happening, just as far as being a professional. And of course, there's some liability involved, because if there is this standard, soon to be mandatory standard, and you didn't follow that, and there was an unfortunate accident, and somebody got hurt, um, <laughs> oh, I do hope you have good insurance because you just have a giant target on your back. I mean, you're not going to get you're you're not going to get out of that one. But can I just screw it to the wall the way we used to? Mm, no, it doesn't meet the standards. Again, you could do that, but you can't expect your consumers to do that. I mean, come on, you can't rely on the average Joe or Jane out there to operate a screwdriver. I mean, it's, it's, you, you just can't do that. You can screw it to the wall in the customer's home when you deliver it. That might get you some brownie points with the jury if it should ever come to something like that, but now you've limited yourself just to your local area, which is what you may want to do. But if you ship it across the country, you're not going to go and install that. You could hire a handyman in that area to go in and do the installation, but now that's an added expense, and you're transferring the liability to him or her. Ugh, it should be simpler than this. Yeah, but what if I made this a built-in? Oh, really good suggestion. 
Now we're talking. But what is the difference between a built-in and a screwed-to-the-wall? I don't know of a specific definition to this. Ask 10 carpenters, woodworkers, you'll probably get 11 different answers. Uh, For me, I kind of think of it, if you remove the baseboard to install this people and screw it or attach it numerous places to the wall, I'm going to call that a built-in. So that's my definition. I'm sure that that would not stand up in a court of law, but, you know, there you go. So can the CPSC throw you in jail? No, they can't. That may have been a little melodramatic. Remember, I do work alone. But they can fine the crap out of you. Penalties on top of fines, on top of penalties. Um, They can get you that way, and they can make your life just absolutely miserable and cost you a whole bunch of money, and you just don't want to poke that bear. So what do we, as one-person shop woodworkers do? Be informed. Like I said, read Woodworking Network, Workshop News. You should definitely be subscribed to both of those and decide what you want to do, how you want to handle this. Myself, I don't do kids. Just don't, know. Um, no cribs, no bassinets, no bunk beds. That's another way of getting you know, yourself in into trouble. Um, just say no. I'm sorry, I, I don't do that type of work. Maybe you want to talk to your lawyer or your insurance agent about product liability. That is a, a thing. If you are producing or doing something that might be a little sketchy, they generally don't charge for a phone call, just for an opinion. And, of course, how big of a target do you have on your back? Are you a retired gentleman or lady who has made a very, very good living during their working life and have a lot of assets? You definitely might want to take this very, very seriously. If you are 19 years old, own a circular saw and a set of chisels, well, <clears throat> you're kind of what's called sue-proof. Because somebody could sue you, but they're not going to get anything from you. So that's something that you're really going to have to evaluate your, your, yourself. Now, any time that I've had these questions about clothing storage units, I have always thrown out the suggestion of open shelf storage. And I've I've done some installations on this. I've I've built these in the past where instead of having drawers that you have to pull out and then fold things and put in and then never find what you're looking for because they're in the third drawer and you thought you put it in the second drawer and three years elapse and you find it. Anyway, you lose stuff in drawers. I'm a big advocate for shelves. Fold your stuff up or roll your clothing and just place it on the shelves. You got to remember, drawers were really, really important back when we heated our homes with wood or with coal. It was dirty. It was we created soot. We created ash. You needed to put things in covered storage units. Um, chest, cedar chest. That protected those winter blankets during the summer. 
But most of us don't heat our homes that way anymore. So the cleanliness of our homes is, is just light years ahead of what it used to be. I remember I grew up, you know, stoking a coal furnace. We cleaned every week if we wanted to or not, and twice on Easter and Christmas. So open storage, I think, makes a great deal of sense because you can see everything that you have. And like I said, I've installed several of these and people are incredibly happy with those. And, well, honestly, they're just a lot cheaper than cabinets, things with drawer slides, full extension drawer slides, undermount full extension drawer slides. And we start to run into some money here. So that's an, uh, an option that you could throw out to, to a potential customer. If you do decide to get into this, and make clothing storage units, make sure you charge for it because you're going to do a minor college dissertation on just trying to figure out all the things that you're supposed to do. And you need to recover those that cost, that learning curve that, that you're likely to go through. And not to scare anyone, it's not the death of custom furniture, but it is something that we do need to pay attention to. Recommendations for this show, I've got a list of links on there that I referenced to, to get this information. I will also put a phone number to the business ombudsman for the Consumer Product Safety Commission. A gentleman was gre greatly helpful. He talked to me for about a half hour, and he kind of set me thinking differently in that I asked him, what is your jurisdiction? You know, what do you guys concentrate on? He said that technically, any product that's in the home that has a potential to hurt somebody and, you know, elect electronic equipment, tables, chairs, if there is a problem, and most of these problems occur when somebody complains. You know, I bought these chairs from this retail store, brought them home, my aunt came over, sat on them, it collapsed, she's in the hospital. Those are the things that they're going to, to investigate. So, you know, they're very far-reaching, but they really, he told me they really kind of, you know, they're driven by complaints, you know, consumer uh, uh, complaints. And if you come across something that you think is dangerous, I actually reported a brass propane nozzle to them years ago. I bought this big box store, didn't pay very much for it, should have known better. It turned out when you closed the valve, it didn't fully seat and cut off the gas. And like 45 minutes later, I'm cleaning up the workbench. I grab, of course, the end of the nozzle and burnt the living bejeebers out of myself. There was still a small flame in there. No matter what I did, I could not get that thing to close off. That went into the metal scrap recycling and I fired off a email to the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Uh, never seen that brand, that style on the market since then. I doubt if I was the one who caused that, but it, it sucked. Miss Jobs, got an email. Hello, how are you doing? This is Steven. Please, I need eight of these tables. Let me know if this is something you can do and what they cost me. And there was a photo of a basic 
square table. Yes, Stephen, thanks for contacting me, but unfortunately I'm not taking new jobs right now due to a severe backlog that I'm trying to work through. Was this spam? Was this a fishing expedition? Probably. Why am I suspicious of this? Uh, capitalization is non-existent. I know younger people don't have the same emphasis on capitalization that older people do. Um, there's like no punctuation in this. So I do judge. I judge the way you present yourself. And this is not someone that I want to do business with. Eight tables? Let me know. <laughs> no, this is a little too informal, too extravagant. Uh, I remember one time I got a uh, an email. Somebody wanted me to... It, it was something like, <clears throat> I see you make paddles. I am in need of 127 paddles. How soon can you deliver? I will arrange pickup. Do you take credit cards? Yeah, that one went around for a decade or so, and it, it was a definite fishing uh, expedition. I'd like to give a special thanks to listeners in Rancho Chucamaga, California. That's kind of like between L.A. and, I think, Riverside, uh, up up into the, 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 uh, the San Gabriel Mountains. Beautiful area. Uh, and also Würzburg, Bavaria, Germany. Several listeners there, and I have one listener in Portugal. Thank you very much. Again, the analytics doesn't dial down to exactly where in Portugal, but I really appreciate you listening. Affiliate links listed in the, the, the show notes, and also something that has been occurring more often. Many of you are just getting started, and you're asked to build something, but you're not exactly sure how to go about this. It might be a big project. It might be something you've never actually done before, and you're just a little iffy on how to go about this. Uh, I have several coaching calls with people doing projects like this, and we, we talk it over the different materials, the construction techniques, the joinery, things like that. So if you are in the design process of coming up with something for a, a customer and you're kind of stuck or just want someone to bounce something off the wall, um, by all means, you know, get in contact with me. I'd be happy to help you out. So until next week, happy woodworking.